this isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 17 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. I just wrapped up trip number three of the year, meaning it's time for another Jeff Does Vegas trip report. I was in town for the 2019 National Association of Broadcasters NAB show. I was excited to check out all the latest broadcast tech and gear, visit the podcast pavilion, and take in a couple of conference sessions on podcasting to learn some tips and tricks on making this podcast bigger and better. This trip was a little more business than I'm used to on my Vegas trips, so I didn't have much time to spend on fun, but I still managed to visit a few new spots for food and drinks, take in some awesome entertainment, and have a couple of new experiences. All right, let's do it. I'll start off with my accommodations for this trip. This time around, I was staying at Luxor, which if you're not totally familiar with Vegas, is the resort that looks like a giant pyramid. I've stayed at Luxor a few times prior to this trip, but this is the first time I've had a chance to review it for the podcast. Honestly, Luxor is never my first choice for a place to stay, and that's based strictly on the location, which is also the reason that I don't usually recommend it for first-timers either. Luxor is located at the very south end of the Strip, with the only property further south being Mandalay Bay. Because of the location, it's easy to feel a bit disconnected from the action. Unlike center strip hotels of the same caliber like the Flamingo or Bally's, you can't just step out the front door and be right in the thick of things. You're going to be traveling a bit, either by foot or by tram. My check-in experience went extremely smoothly, especially compared to the experience I had with the Park MGM back in March, which you can hear about in episode number 15 of the podcast. I arrived at the Luxor at around 1 p.m. and upon walking inside spotted a massive lineup for the check-in counter. However, I was able to skip that line and go straight to the mobile check-in kiosks because, like my last trip, I'd done the online pre-check-in the day before, so I had already been assigned my room number. However, upon asking the clerk behind the counter, I confirmed that I'd been assigned a room on the second floor of the pyramid. This simply wasn't going to do for me. The doors of all the rooms inside the pyramid open up into the open area of the pyramid, meaning that if you're in a low room, you're going to hear a lot of noise from inside the pyramid. I politely asked if they had anything on a higher floor and was offered a $10 a night upgrade to a newly renovated room on the 20th floor of the pyramid. Two of my three nights had been comped, so I really didn't mind spending the extra money for a better room. As for the room itself, you can definitely tell they've done some updating. The room looked fresh with new carpet and paint and some new furniture as well. The bed was super comfortable and they've done some updating in the bathroom too with new fixtures and a nice big shower. Honestly, last time I stayed at the Luxor in a pyramid room, it was kind of dumpy. So it's great to see that they're finally starting to move things forward. There are a couple of small quirks in the room. Uh, Number one, they've removed the closets, but there's still a spot to hang clothes, meaning all your stuff is visible just hanging there. 
Also, number two, there's no fridge in the room. So if you've got items you need to keep cold, you either need to talk to the front desk to arrange a fridge rental or hit up the closest CVS or Walgreens for a cooler and some ice. Another quick point and something to watch out for if you happen to stay at Luxor in a pyramid room. Being that you're inside of a pyramid, the wall with the windows is slanted. And if you're not paying attention or really thinking about it, it's pretty easy to bash your head on it. I've done it on previous trips, and I did it again on this trip, but only twice, so I'd totally call that a win. To sum things up, the Luxor is an excellent property. The pool area is great. There's several restaurants on site, plus it's attached to Mandalay Bay and Excalibur, so you've got access to all of their restaurants as well. And they also play host to some awesome attractions, including Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition, Bodies, the Exhibition, and the HyperX Esports Arena. Luxor is also home to some great entertainment options, including Blue Man Group, Carrot Top, and for the adults, Fantasy, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary at Luxor. And for the value, I honestly don't know if you'll do much better. If you're watching for it, you can usually get some awesome rates during the week and even on weekends. And if you sign up for the MLife Rewards card, which I always recommend people do when they go to Vegas, and you use the card to keep track of your gambling and your spending on MGM properties, Luxor is usually one of the first places that you'll be offered comp rooms. If I had to give Luxor a rating... I'd give it a solid 7 out of 10, with the only thing bringing down that score being the location. Alright, time for my favorite topic when it comes to my Vegas trip reports. Food. I had several great experiences this trip, along with one not-so-great experience. Let's start with the positives. After dropping my bags and getting settled, I decided to wander up the strip towards the Link Promenade, which is an awesome spot to head when you're not 100% sure of what you're after, since there's a massive selection of restaurants. I'd initially headed up there with the intention of grabbing In-N-Out Burger, but decided I wanted something a little bit more and I wanted to try somewhere different. So I ended up at the Tilted Kilt which describes itself as, quote, the best-looking sports bar in America. It's not quite as goofy as a place like Hooters or Twin Peaks, but it's close. The servers and bartenders, both the guys and the girls, are wearing kilts, but of course, the ladies are showing off their, how do I put this, assets. <laughs> I've walked past Tilted Kilt a million times, and I've always debated on stopping in for a bite, and this time, I'm really glad I did. The food was great, the service was fast and friendly, and the atmosphere was awesome. I would highly recommend it for a solid lunch or a dinner, or if you're with a group of friends and you want to have some beverages watching the game. There's tons of TVs all over the place. It would be an awesome spot to watch sports. Another new-to-me spot that I tried this time around was Dick's Last Resort in the Excalibur. Now, here's the premise behind Dick's. They like to call it Service with Sass which basically means the staff get to be rude to the customers. I'll say this much, it's not a place for the easily offended. One of the members of my Vegas family, my good friend Kevin, he works as a bartender at Dick's, and it was hilarious to actually watch him in action in this place. 
To be fair, the staff are all able to get a pretty good read on the customers, so they have an idea of exactly how far they can push things with people. And after spending some time sitting at the bar, you can see the customers loosening up and getting into the gag as well, dishing it out just as much as they're taking it. Food-wise, the menu's solid and filled with the standard pub grub like sandwiches, burgers, wraps, wings, stuff like that. Don't go in there expecting five-star high-class dining experience and you'll be fine and you just might have some fun as well. I also had the pleasure of grabbing breakfast one morning at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville at the Flamingo on my last day in Vegas. I was up early looking to grab a bite before heading to the airport and I didn't want anything too crazy or heavy, just something simple. And this absolutely fit the bill. They have a pretty large breakfast menu and a huge selection of Bloody Marys if you're into that kind of thing. Frankly, the food was mediocre at best, but it was a good value for what it was. Now, for the negative dining experience. Let's talk about Robert Irvine's public house at the Tropicana. I can honestly say this was probably one of the most disappointing meals that I've ever had in Las Vegas. Let me start by saying that in all my trips to Vegas over the last several years, I've never bothered to step foot inside the Tropicana because I never really had a reason to. However, Public House has always been on the radar to go check out. I'd heard good things about it, and I even took a look at the Google reviews before heading over, all of which were overwhelmingly positive. I'll just say this much. I don't know what all those rave reviews on Google were about because this place was brutal. I ordered the Steak and Guinness Pie, which is described on the menu like this. Skirt steak, Guinness shiitake gravy, potatoes, carrots, onions, and savory pie crust. Sounds amazing, right? Yeah, not so much. I was picturing something in my head similar to what Nine Fine Irishmen at New York, New York serves with their chicken pot pie, which if you've ever had it, you know it's basically like a small bucket filled with chicken, gravy, veggies, and a huge puff pastry topping. It's amazing. When the server at Public House brought me my meal, I honestly thought that he'd brought the wrong thing. This was basically a small skillet, maybe five or six inches across and about an inch deep. It had about half of the filling I was expecting, and the pie crust was dry and tasteless. I should add, this entree, which appears on the large plate section of the menu, was $28, not even close to being worth it. I also feel a need to say this, and I'm directing it directly to Robert Irvine himself. You, sir, must have balls the size of grapefruits to call what you have on your menu poutine. Tater tots, pulled pork, gravy, and goat cheese, for $16, I might add, is not poutine. Ask any Canadian, they'll tell you what poutine should be. Needless to say, I won't be going back to Robert Irvine's public house anytime soon, and I won't be recommending it to anyone either. My trip to Vegas also happened to coincide with an event that's very near and dear to my heart, Monday's Dark. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll have heard me talk about Monday's Dark numerous times before, but if you're new to the show, please allow me to explain. Twice every month, my very good friend Mark Chinook gathers some of the very best in Vegas entertainment to perform at his venue, The Space, located just off the strip at the corner of Polaris and Harmon. 
every show features a different musical theme, whether it be a specific genre or specific artist. And the entertainers come out and perform songs from that genre or artist. Tickets start at just $20. And here's the really cool part of this show. All the money raised goes to charity. A different charity is chosen to be the benefactor for each show, and that charity is guaranteed to end the night with at least $10,000 going to them. In addition to ticket sales, there's also special silent and live auctions held throughout the night to help raise even more money. Side note here, by the end of 2019, over the course of its five-year history, Monday's Dark will have raised over $1 million for charities in and around Las Vegas, which is just incredible. The theme for the show I was attending was the music of Celine Dion. And even if you're not a fan of Celine, you can't help to admit that her songs are powerful, incredibly emotional, and demand a high level of talent to perform them. And the people who showed up to sing at Monday's Dark absolutely delivered. Highlight performers from this show included Alyssa Fur, who's portrayed Celine Dion at Legends in Concert in Vegas, Savannah Smith from the band The Moonshiners and Vegas The Show, Stephanie Calvert, who's currently performing with classic rockers Starship, and Angelina Alexson, who brought the house down with her rendition of Celine Dion's The Power of Love. By the way, if you get a chance, head over to YouTube and check out Angelina's video, One Girl, 15 Voices, which has over 2.8 million views on YouTube. I'll post the link to the video in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. Now, if you're lucky enough to be in Vegas when a Monday's Dark is happening, you absolutely need to go. I've managed to drag several friends to the show, and they've all left absolutely blown away by the level of entertainment. Once again, tickets start at just $20, and you can get them along with the show schedule and list of charities at mondaysdark.com. And be sure to follow Monday's Dark on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Monday's Dark. As mentioned earlier in the podcast, my main reason for traveling to Vegas this time around was to take in the National Association of Broadcasting NAB show. NAB show happens every April in Las Vegas, bringing in close to 2,000 exhibitors and, on average, close to 100,000 attendees. People from all over the world and all parts of TV, radio, film, and other areas of broadcasting descend on Sin City to check out all the latest in gear, tech, and to attend conference sessions on various parts of the industry. My main focus this time around was to check out the podcasting pavilion where I had a chance to meet with the folks from Podbean who host this podcast along with thousands of others and check out some of the toys that I'm trying to convince Mrs. Jeff Does Vegas to let me buy. Convincing is not going too well. <laughs> so what's it like being in Las Vegas during a large convention? Well, the only word I can really think of to describe it is insanity. And that insanity starts almost the minute you step off the plane. The airport is way busier than normal with the gate areas and baggage carousels absolutely jammed with large crowds. Also, be prepared for longer than usual waits at restaurants and bars, long lines at hotel check-in and check-out, and slightly longer waits for rideshare. Although, I don't think I waited much more than maybe five or six minutes for a lift in spite of the crowds. 
Speaking of getting around during a convention, consider using the Las Vegas monorail, which is probably the cheapest and fastest way to access the Las Vegas Convention Center. There's a monorail stop right at the convention center and stops all along the strip from the MGM Grand in the south up to the SLS in the north. You can buy single ride and multi-day tickets at the stations or online at lvmonorail.com. Also, if you're going to Vegas for a convention, be sure to bring some nice clothes. Most conventions will feature parties and shows exclusively for attendees, and these are almost always hosted at nightclubs and high-end night spots. For example, NAB Show this year had parties hosted by various sponsors at Omnia Nightclub at Caesars, Hakkasan Nightclub at the MGM Grand, and the Foundation Room at Mandalay Bay. Places like these usually have pretty strict dress codes that everyone's required to follow. So again, no matter the temperature and time of year, toss some nice clothes into the suitcase. Long story short, if you have the opportunity to go to Las Vegas for a convention, do it. It's a once in a lifetime experience and I guarantee it'll be like no convention you've ever attended before. So what if you're not coming to Vegas specifically for a convention and you want to avoid all the insanity? How can you find out if there's a large convention going on? Go check out VegasMeansBusiness.com. You can enter in your travel dates and find out if there's anything major happening on those dates with a list of conventions and the number of attendees. Pro tip, if you're ever trying to plan a trip to Vegas and you're noticing hotel room rates are sky high, check the convention calendar to see if there's a major show happening during your intended dates. That same room that you'd normally pay between $50 to $70 a night for can jump up to $500 a night during a major convention that brings in 100,000 or more attendees. A few other things that I wanted to mention from this trip. Uh, Number one, if it's a hot day and you're in the mood for a nice, cool, alcoholic treat, be sure to head over to O'Shea's on the Link Promenade and grab yourself a frozen Bailey's. It's like the best alcoholic slushy that you've ever had, and it does pack a little bit of a kick that you're not going to notice until you're about halfway through it. Yes, your friends will probably give you crap, call it a girly drink, and threaten to take away your man card, but trust me, it'll be worth it. Uh, Secondly, sadly, once again, I failed at playing any table games on this trip. I fully had the intention of searching out a spot to play some $5 blackjack, but with my schedule being as packed as it was this time around, I didn't get that opportunity. And by the time I did look at hitting the tables, limits were all bumped up and the payouts were at 6 to 5 instead of the better 3 to 2. I did, however, manage to pull about $240 out of a gaming machine called Lightning Zap, so ended up in the black for my gambling this time around. And finally, I want to give a big shout out to customer support at Lyft. I had an incredibly negative experience with the driver who was taking me to the airport the day I was heading home. This driver decided that this particular ride would be a good time to bust out some incredibly racist and offensive jokes. And anyone who knows me knows that it takes a lot for me to get offended. Also, he was driving like an absolute lunatic. Immediately after he dropped me at the airport, I gave him a one-star rating, no tip, and submitted my feedback. Within a few minutes of submitting it, Lyft responded with apologies and offers of credits towards future rides. So again, big kudos to Lyft. 
So that pretty much wraps things up for this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed sharing in my experience for trip number three of 2019. And as always, if you have any comments or feedback for me, or if you've got Vegas related questions, feel free to reach out via social media at Jeff Does Vegas or drop me an email at Jeff at WalkerNewMedia.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever else you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are uploaded. Thanks again. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 17 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast, a Walker New Media production. Music.